What's going on, everyone? I hope everyone is having a great Hollow weekend, and welcome to WSUM 91.7 FM Student Radio. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Solomon, to discuss Badger football, the Lakers' early season woes, the NBA's new foul rule and its effects on the best scores in the game, and then we'll finish off today's segment talking about last night's wild game at State Farm Stadium. So, for the first question, obviously this week is a huge week for Badger football as they take on the number nine Hawkeyes at home. Both teams are known for their defense, so the offenses will really have to step it up if they want to secure the W. Will the Hawkeyes or Badgers emerge victorious? I mean, that's such a hard question to answer, I feel. It's really, because neither of these teams, I feel, really have, I mean, obviously they have a lot of games behind them this far into the season, but neither of these teams have really impressed in their wins. Um, and have kind of unimpressed, especially Wisconsin in their losses. Um, so I feel like my biggest thing is this going to be a battle of the quarterbacks. Um, and it's not going to be like the age-old history of like this is the battle of the good quarterbacks. I think this is going to be a battle of the kind of underperforming quarterbacks. Uh, neither team really is solid. Or they're both solid. Spencer Petrus uh, from the Hawkeyes is solid in terms of moving the ball down the field, I feel. Um, he's got over 1,300 yards, uh, which is pretty solid um, on 200 attempts. Uh, but he also has a 9-6 to touchdown-to-interception ratio, which is really not that good. I mean, at least it's not Graham Mertz's. Uh, but we'll get to that later. Um, but like, he's not going to you know, blow you away with his, with his flashy kind of big plays, you know, deep shots down the field. Um, but I think... If he can have a solid game and if he can really bring it together, then I really think this Iowa offense can be can click and really expose some weaknesses that I feel like the Wisconsin Badgers defense has. Yeah, but those are, uh, I don't. I'm not saying Iowa's going to win. There's too many things to think about. I, it's a coin flip. Flip a coin, and I'll agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Um, those are definitely some great points you brought up, Ben. For both teams, this is arguably the biggest game of the year. The winner of this one controls their own destiny in the Big Ten West, while the loser starts looking for answers. As always, the case when these two teams face off, this one is expected to be a dogfight with each team focusing on defense and establishing the run. Neither team, like you said, has an offense that scares you, and this game is just going to come down to physicality and who can control the time of possession. Petros and Mertz both make mistakes, but Wisconsin is better in the run game. I think the game is going to be low scoring, and I've got the Badgers winning 14-9 as they've truly found their stride thanks to their three-game win streak. Yeah, I could see that. I definitely agree with the low scoring because both of these defenses are really solid. Wisconsin only allows 18.4 points a game, and Iowa only allows 14.6. So both keeping opponents under 20, uh, which is really impressive. And so I think the biggest thing for me is the run defense uh, because, again, with not-so-stellar quarterback play, to win games you need to have a good run team, you know, a good run game. And Wisconsin, obviously, as we know, Ches Malusi, um having a great season, uh, really putting up big numbers. Same with Braylon Allen. Um, both both combining the two, they have almost as many rushing attempts as Mertz has pass attempts. Or should they have over, um, like 50 over what Mertz has, which is crazy, which means that it's over 50% of their pl- plays are running plays, especially, which is impressive considering you have a quarterback like Mertz who was so coveted coming into the into the program, really kind of expecting him to kind of lead the team and kind of expose tef- defenses through the air. Yeah, he was our best like like quarterback recruit of all time, right? Which is which is su- substantial. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. So I think 
if if the defense of Wisconsin can stop the run game, I don't trust Petrus from Iowa to really beat us in the air necessarily. We have had that is my one caveat is the secondary has had some miscommunications at very key points in games, including Penn State. Um, oh yeah, Penn as State well as yeah. as well as you know, in the end, uh, like blowouts in Notre Dame kind of thing. I think those those little lapses of concentration maybe or understanding between them could bite the team in the butt. Uh, however, my biggest issue is Iowa's defense because, again, they're allowing even fewer points than Wisconsin uh, with only 14 a game, and they've had a bye week. Iowa, Iowa didn't play a game last week, so they had two weeks to rest, recover, and study up on the Badger offense, and I think if they can find a way to shut down the run game, if they find, you know, maybe they notice Braylon Allen really likes running up the middle, you know, or Malusi pops outside, you know, if they find something like that to expose, then I really think they could get to Mertz because Graham Mertz, as we know, stares down his receiver. He doesn't like to look off the first option uh, and he really hates to look off the second option. So if you can notice his patterns and what he does, I really think that it could it could be even less than fourteen to nine. I mean, it could be three to nothing. Like I wouldn't be surprised if this was one of those examples of just like classic Big Ten football that's just defense, defense, defense. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that. Overall, it's gonna be a super exciting game, and and the fact that's also homecoming weekend makes this game even sweeter. Yeah, and I mean Iowa is perceivably, let's say, their biggest opponent in the Big Ten West. Absolutely. I mean, technically they are behind Minnesota still. Minnesota not the strongest team this year, but also not the weakest, I don't think. I think Minnesota hasn't looked terrible. They haven't really beaten anyone good. They've lost the games they were supposed to lose. But Wisconsin's 2-2 two and two in the conference. Both Iowa and Minnesota are 3-1. and one. Wisconsin wins this, They and let's say Minnesota loses. It's Wisconsin-Minnesota fighting for first in the West. If Wisconsin can win out, including obviously this game this week, I could see them winning the Big Ten West for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now getting to the Big Ten championship game, that's a whole other story. Winning that, who we'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point. But as entertaining as the West could be with Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and, I mean, Purdue beat Iowa. And, so, and they didn't look terrible, I would say, against Wisconsin last week. Purdue could, they're 2-2 two two as well. They could maybe throw their hat in for the West uh, championship. Yeah, the race is definitely getting tight in the West, which only makes college football even more interesting. Exactly. I yeah. mean, it's nothing compared to the East. The yeah. East is just like, I this weekend is the biggest weekend in like Big Ten like history for like the last like, two decades. This is insane. you got Michigan, Michigan State, both undefeated, in period, also in conference play. Ohio State undefeated in conference play playing Penn State. So the top four teams, all of whom are ranked, um, the top four teams in the big in the um, I, t- I guess Iowa's technically in the top five. So all of the top five teams in the Big Ten are playing, you know, important season-defining games almost. Because I don't see, you know, if Ohio State loses again, there's they lose and they're then six and two. Even if they win the Big Ten, I don't know if you give them a, a bid to the to a four-team playoff. You know, there's a lot of different things coming up, especially this weekend that I'm super excited to pay attention to. Yeah, overall, it's going to be a super exciting weekend, and uh, hopefully the Badgers secure that W. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun game. Um, it could, if you're a, maybe a defensive-minded 
viewer, you like to watch good defense. This could be this could be the game for oh, you. Oh, this you is know? like this is like your Christmas. Right yeah, here. sit back. Yeah. You know, put your feet up, grab some popcorn because this is it, it's going to be a good one. I think. Yeah. As good as the defenses are, there are enough weaknesses in each of them and enough strengths on either team's offense that it could really kind of open up, uh, and we could see you know. A, I don't want to say a shootout, but um, yeah, a, a higher scoring game. But Definitely. I, I do not feel comfortable choosing who wins personally. I don't feel like I can confidently say, "Oh, Wisconsin's gonna win," you know, or I was gonna win even. Not let alone numbers. I can't even tell you who's gonna win. So I think it's gonna be a really good game. It's gonna be a really close game. I think that's the big thing. There's no blowout. I think this is gonna be close. It's gonna come down to the last couple possessions. It's gonna come down to the turnover margin. And I really think it's just gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a sweet game. And now uh, transitioning to the NFL, last night was an absolutely huge win for the Packers. Even though they were shorthanded, they notched their seventh straight win of the season thanks to two touchdown passes from Rodgers to Randall Cobb and three takeaways by the defense. So, what does this mean for the Packers, and how can they use this as momentum going forward? Yeah, I have a couple takeaways from this. For both teams, actually. Um, my biggest one is that the Packers' offense is a lot more resilient than people thought. However, with that being said, they're a lot more reliant on Aaron Rodgers than we... Well, I mean, we obviously I feel like they've that. always been reliant We've always on Rodgers, known that, though. yeah. As, I mean, as, as, you know, as, I mean obviously I'm biased because I'm a Bears fan and like course, I love to hate course. on the Packers, but I think... No, the, even but, then, yeah. even then, I feel it's not very hard to tell that, you know, the success of the Green Bay Packers is very, very much reliant on the success of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but without his top three receivers, he did only have 185 yards, but he threw two touchdowns, both, as you said, to Randall Cobb. And one of the biggest things on offense that impressed me was the running backs. I think A.J. Dillon is a really solid second option, and both him and Aaron Jones have both kind of complimented each other in their, the way that they play. You got Aaron Jones, who's a little bit less physical, more of like, you know, he'll bounce outside. He'll, he'll be more of a receiving back sometimes. AJ Dillon's just gonna like blast through the middle. He's really physical, really strong. Uh, but both of them can catch passes. I mean, Aaron uh, Aaron Jones, I believe, was the leading receiver in the uh, in the yeah. Game. He had seven receptions. He had yeah. seven receptions. So even if Devontae Adams is out, uh, Valdez Scandling is out, Lazard is out, your top three options are there. You have these running backs and tight ends who we'll get. I'll get to that in a sec. Who know how to catch the ball? You know, they have a really solid team full of a lot of veterans like Randall Cobb who. He's not going to blow by you on these routes. I mean, he's getting a little older. Yeah. But him and Aaron worked together. I don't know how many years he's on the Packers before, but they had good chemistry, and it showed. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was a really good game. Yeah, it was, in my opinion, that was a huge win for the Packers, and they could definitely use this as momentum going oh, for forward. Sure. I mean, they were shorthanded, and they still beat the best team in the NFL, and they were down for most of the game yeah. as well. Yeah. And also, that their defense is for real. I was about to say yeah. that. Defense. De- and, and every Aaron Rodgers-led Packers team has always lacked a really solid defense. I mean, they've had it in the past a little bit, obviously during the, the Super Bowl year. I was going to say, the year they won. <laughs> the year they, yeah, the year they won the Super Bowl, they had a great defense. And the fact that their defense stepped up and got them back in the game and acted as a spark plug is like really, and, really important, and I think the Packers could like definitely use this as momentum to make it to the Super Bowl. Well, sure. yeah, I think the offense takes this as momentum. Obviously, like you said, you're doing this well, banged up and shorthanded. The defense is also banged up and shorthanded. I yeah. mean, Jair Alexander, a top cornerback in the league, was out. Um, oh, who else? Uh, Smith, Zayre Smith is out on IR as well. 
So one of their top pass rushers and one of their top secondary cornerbacks are out for the next couple weeks. And so to come in with a banged-up defense, shorthanded offense due to COVID, and get two sacks, which, don't get me wrong, two sacks is not a crazy number, um, but against Kyler Murray is impressive because Kyler Murray is a very, very, Guy's very a human joystick. I mean, He's yeah. a very mobile quarterback. So the defense really created pressure, which showed due to, I mean, Murray threw two interceptions. Um, and he fumbled the ball. They did recover it. Arizona did recover it, so it wasn't a turnover. But he fumbled the ball. So they got to him. They got through the offensive line, kind of got into Murray's head. And while he did have a good number of yards, no no touchdowns, two turn, two interceptions, a really solid showing from the defense. And I agree with you. If, if, if Aaron Rodgers has a good defense – the Packers could be very scary. Yeah, and uh, that definitely does not make me smile as a Bears fan after that horrible performance against the Buccaneers. I mean, but that's a story for another day. Yeah, yeah, that was that's a yikes. I mean, the other thing that I took away from this game, obviously, was the loss of Robert Tunyon, um, tearing his ACL, the, the tight end from Green Bay. Tough loss for them. Really tough loss for them. I know he's one of he, in my opinion. From what I can view and see, he's Aaron Rodgers' like third option, third favorite receiver, um, behind only Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard. Um, I think he Aaron Rodgers really likes his tight ends, and Tanyan was really great physically catching the ball, but as well as um, in pass protection. You know, he's a good blocker as well. So that's going to be a big, big dent in their offense. Although I'm sure Mercedes Lewis can come back, and yeah. you know, he's just definitely a solid. Um, second chance yeah. um, and for Arizona I don't know I mean as great as this game was for the Packers I honestly think that they should have lost they definitely should have lost Arizona yeah. the only reason that Arizona didn't win this game is because I mean their red zone AJ that Green red zone and, interception was like brutal. that was it I mean the yeah. only reason they didn't win is because Kyler Murray and AJ Green were not on the same page for one play yeah otherwise that's I mean if he turns around that's a free catch yeah you know he's, he's open in the end zone yeah. so I think Arizona's really solid all around. They got plenty of pressure on Rodgers. They kind of, they held him to not that many yards. Um, and they just had a very solid all-around game offensively and defensively, which they've done all year. You know, they've obviously they were 6-0 for a reason, I think. Or 7? 7-0. 7-0. They're 7-0 for a reason. Yeah. So they're, de- they're definitely a good team. You know, they're a really, really solid team. I think if they have a slightly more established run game, and uh, DeAndre Hopkins rests a little bit and gets his hamstring to full health, they're my favorites to at least make the NFC Championship game, if not the Super Bowl. Uh, Because Kyler Murray, like you said, a human joystick. You can't tackle this guy. And if he he takes care of the ball and can extend plays like he does, their offense is super scary as well. So this, this felt like an NFC Championship game preview. It really did, and I think... And that's who I think is going to be in it. So I think it's a really good game for the league, for the fans of the league. Because Absolutely. It's like one it of was those... a treat. I mean, yeah. Exactly. So it was, it was awesome. really fun to watch, honestly, even as a Packers fan, getting as nervous and kind of yeah. admitting defeat in the end where I'm like, oh, there it is. And then the, the intercession, I mean, you just jump out yeah. of your seat. It's crazy. But that's the NFL. That's how it goes. You know, there you have fourth and goal from the one with, what, two minutes left, a minute and a half left. And then all of a sudden, you're about to lose the game. So... It was really fun to watch. I think Arizona keep their heads up. Really solid, um, really solid team. They lost to the Packers, who are no, obviously a good team. Um, but for the Packers, like you said, momentum, momentum, momentum. That's a huge win for them. Yeah, it was definitely a huge win. And um, 
Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good season for Green Bay, like like usual. I mean, when is it not? It's insane. Yeah, it's uh, but it's it's always every ranking that anybody has. You know, you've got your A tier, your top tier teams. You know, you can say you could argue LA's up there, maybe Tampa Bay. You could put Arizona. Um, you, and then you got right below them. They have the team that everyone knows, the, the second tier, which is one down from the top, which is gonna lose in the NFC Championship game, and that's always the Packers because they always. Make it to the NFC Championship game yeah. and always, yeah, yeah, all short. Oh yeah. So, I don't know. I think I think as the season moves on, obviously staying healthy is going to be important. But seeing how both of these teams do going forward, I anticipate. I mean, seven and one makes a ton of sense for both of these teams. You know, so going forward, I think it's going to be fun to watch, uh, and I'm excited to see this rematch in the playoffs. To be honest, yeah, it's going to be. I oh, that'd be an absolute fan's treat. And now, oh, yeah. um. Transitioning to the NBA, after blowing a 26-point lead to one of the worst teams in the NBA, the Lakers have struggled so far this season by posing a 2-3 and three record. What is wrong with this team, and do you think they'll be able to figure it out within the next month? See, that's really hard, because the Lakers, as, as, as not good of a record as they have, you know, 2-3 and three isn't great. It's only five games in. You know, this is the beginning of the season. You've got a lot of great players on your team. You know, insane stats across the board, pretty much. Um, I was looking at their their stats the other day. Anthony Davis is averaging almost kind of, well, not really, but he Anthony Davis is averaging a double double a night. Um, twenty eight points, eleven rebounds, uh, four of which a night are offensive. So it's huge for them. Uh, LeBron averaging twenty six points, um, six rebounds, five assists. So classic LeBron season. Um, and Russell Westbrook, again, the classic, almost averaging a, a triple-double, only 9.4 rebounds and 9.4 assists a game, keeping it back from that. So your big three are really producing. And on top of that, they have Carmelo Anthony and Bleak Monk, who are both averaging double digits in points, as well as contributing, you know, four boards, two assists a night. Uh, so I don't know what's wrong with this team. On paper, they look like they should be winning every game. You know, they they got two people averaging over 25 points, three other people in double digits, like, they have a solid offensive scheme, which then makes you think, is it the defense? Yeah. So, so far, all of the Lakers' issues that were predicted once they traded for Russ have come to fruition. With DJ starting at the five, the Lakers have absolutely no spacing, and that's definitely hurting them as defenses are able to close driving lanes by clogging the paint, thus forcing AD to become a spot-up shooter instead of a dominant paint presence. Even though Russ, AD, and LeBron is a lethal trio on paper, just like you said, Ben, they've been disappointing thus far as LA is minus 13. Yeah, minus 13 in the 61 minutes those three have shared the floor. Considering the success LeBron and AD had in their first season together, it's pretty easy to point the finger at Russ for that number. On a team with LeBron, he has to be the one to adjust, but he's simply not doing that. He's averaging 17.8 points per game on 18 shots and six turnovers. And he's also a team worst minus 38 overall. And then like you said about their defense, that is one of their problems as well, as it has been atrocious this season since they are allowing 111.4 points per 100 possessions, the most any Vogel-led team has ever allowed. I do think the Lakers will be able to turn it around eventually thanks to the veteran leadership they have on the team, but they will not win a championship with the way the team is constructed right now. They need more spacing and better wing defenders. Yeah, I definitely agree with the spacing and the defenders part. I really, I think, when you're their lowest, or excuse me, the lowest score that they've held an opponent to this year is 115. 
And that's against the Suns. I mean, they played the Spurs, who are definitely a up-and-coming team, a young team, an inexperienced team. No one expects them to do anything this year. I mean, they the Spurs had 121 points against them. They only won by four. It came down to the end. Against the Grizzlies and John Morant, who, granted, is a special talent, scored 118. Um, after losing to the Warriors on opening night, I thought, like, okay... They're going to come back. They're going to be angry. But it was a reasonable loss. I mean, the Warriors, solid team. Steph had one of those games where you're like, okay, just go next. Steph being like, Steph, just go next. Yeah. Like he's, he, he's just so special. He's going to will his team to win. You just knew it. The Suns, again, really solid team. They made the finals last year. They have a, lo- a lot of the same weapons. They've got a lot of really good offensive talent. And they, they lost to them. So that's two losses. Okay, you're 0-2. Not the end of the world, in my opinion. You know, those are two good teams. Those are two understandable losses. You then do what you're supposed to do. You beat the Grizzlies, you beat the Spurs. But that defense, and potentially lack thereof, is really going to hurt them against teams like the Thunder. Up, what was it, 26? Up by 26. 26, right? So you're up 26 points. And if you're allowing 115 points a game, or a minimum of 115 points a game, that's fine if you score more, right? It's the classic, you know... A good offense is your best is beats a good defense kind of thing. But if your offense has a lapse, let's say like they did in that Thunder game, when they're up twenty six, your offense kind of lessens up and doesn't hit their shots, or you know, makes poor kind of foolish turnovers. Their defense, like you said, is not good enough around the perimeter to stop big runs and big comebacks. And I think that trend of what you saw, blowing a twenty six point lead, is definitely going to make be happen at least one more time. Maybe not twenty six points. But they'll be up maybe 10 points going into the fourth, and you see them lose by five, see them lose by 10. I think their defense really needs to improve on the outside. You have Anthony Davis. He's amazingly solid. Like, he's so solid on the inside. You have Dwight Howard, also solid on the inside. You have good, big defenders. It's that that perimeter defense, like you mentioned, that I think is really going to need to improve for them because LeBron and Westbrook, while they're talented defensively, you don't imagine either of them as a defender, and I know like people like Carmelo Anthony, you definitely and Rajon Rondo, you definitely don't imagine it's like lockdown guys on the outside. Yeah, I definitely agree. The Lakers are struggling right now, but as LeBron once said, Rome wasn't built in a day. So uh, after that, we're going to go to break, and then once we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA's new foul rule. I'm a champion, real mechanism. Shaquille O'Neal for rap. It's not your normal PSA. Don't be stupid. Don't drink and drive. If you're going to go out and have a good time, it's fine. But designate a driver to drive home. Let's stop the madness. Don't drink and drive. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. WSUM is partnering with BIPOC at WISCO to bring BIPOC voices and stories to the airwaves. If you are a member of a BIPOC student organization on campus interested in spreading your message and sharing your experiences, you can fill out the link in our Instagram bio, WSUM91.7, or email community at wsum.wisc.edu. Stories submitted online will be recorded by BIPOC members of WSUM and aired on our radio waves. Those interested in being on air will be given the opportunity to appear in our studio. DM BIPOC at WISCO on Instagram or email community at wsum.wisc.edu with any questions. Mm-hmm. 
Dylan Francis and Madison's own Young Gravy will be performing at the Sylvie on March 28, 2020. Tickets are available on the Sylvie website or at the Sylvie box office. You are listening to WSUM 91.7 FM Madison, The Snake on the Lake. Oh darn, I matched with this really cute guy on Tinder, but I don't know what we can do for our first date. They could be the love of my life, but I don't want to go against COVID regulations. What do you mean? There are tons of ways you can go on socially distanced dates. Masked, of course. So I can meet people without putting my community in danger? Yep. How? Well, you could go ice skating or you could go on a hike. Oh, right. How about taking a walk to Picnic Point? That's a great idea. Well, what if I want to see the bottom half of their face? That's a pretty reasonable thing to want. Zoom dates are a great way to get to know people without any risks. These are all great activities where I can be outside, keep my distance, and still hang out with Tinder matches or even just my friends. Happy to help. What's going on, everybody? Uh, shout out to the Tinder for sponsoring this break. It's pretty awesome. Um, so now we're going to discuss the NBA's new foul rule, as it has had a major impact on the league's best scorer so far, especially James Harden, who's had eight straight games with fewer than five free throws, his longest streak since 2011. Could James Harden's cold streak be blamed on the NBA's new rules, Ben? Uh, so cold streak... In terms of points, yes, 110 million percent. I think that's what it is. Um, James Harden, throughout his whole career, in my opinion, has been very reliant on the free throw line to get his points per game up. I think he knew the rules very well, and he used that to his advantage. You know, he went into the body if he was taking a uh, driving to the lane. He maybe put his foot out a little bit if he was taking a three, or he jumped towards the defender. Um, I think James Harden is the poster child for abusing the free throw or the foul rule in terms of shooting and landing, giving a, a shooter a spot to land uh, when taking a um, a jumper. And, I mean, that shows. They changed the rule. They made it a lot more, I don't want to say restrictive, but a lot more favorable to the defender or a lot more even, in my opinion. I think a lot of offensive players would put their foot out if they're taking a jump shot knowing someone's coming across and they're going to hit their foot and then they would fall and draw a foul. Something like that, I think, was really kind of detrimental to the league. It made it almost unfair. It was not really a, I don't know, it didn't feel like a good game of basketball. It felt like, okay, he shot a three that he probably didn't want to shoot, but he knew someone was coming, so he put his foot out and got hit and got a foul and shot free, three free throws. For someone like James Harden, who's a great free throw shooter, that's three points. You do that 15, 14 free throws a night, that that almost doubles your points per game because now he's only got 16.6 points per game. Imagine if he shoots 14 free throws, that's twenty. That's 30 points a game. Yeah, and um, obviously during the Nets game, Nets Heat game on Wednesday, uh, Harden struggled putting up only 14 points on 4 for 12 from the field with four turnovers. After watching highlights from that game, I felt like he was playing for the contact instead of playing through the contact. Mm -hmm. James Harden is a mm -hmm. bully when he plays basketball, and he needs to find a way to replicate that. There were so many times I watched him look at the ref instead of playing bully ball. He weighs around 220 pounds, and he can move in other ways that people can't, and he needs to take advantage of that ability. Don't get me wrong, Miami's one of the best defensive teams in the league, and I also think that Eric Spolstra outcoached Steve Nash. That's a discussion for another, another time, but... 
it was him not bullying through contact, him looking at the ref every single time that made me upset. I mean, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I'm and with you on that. The chemistry between him and certain players is so off as well. Like LaMarcus Aldridge, every time they're involved in a pick and roll, they just can't feel each other out. And maybe that's because he's always played with an athletic big man. Overall, I think the rules change has played a role in his cold streak, but it's definitely not the main reason why he's playing bad as he's still coming back from injury and the Nets have had so many guys in and out of the lineup. He's one of the most prolific scorers in NBA history. He'll get his groove back. If he doesn't, that's going to be a huge problem for the Nets. Yeah, I think, I mean, as a as a basketball player, James Harden seriously, like you said, under underuses his ability to play through contact. I think that's a really great point where he, he plays for the contact, not through it. And I think if he does play through it, he can score. I mean, like you said, he's a big guy. He's he's muscular. He's bulky. Maybe not muscular, but he's bulky. Um, he can get into the lane. He can really do some damage, and he can shoot. You know, we know that he's averaging eight assists a, uh, a game this season, which is really good for him. Um, and always known as kind of like the ball hog. You know that James Harden. You like how him and KD and Kyrie all going to be on the same team. They all want to have the ball. But he's showing that he can change his game up. If he he's one of the best to. facilitators in our league. Yeah, I mean, and so he's... That's like his most underrated ability, He's I think. shown that he can, you know, facilitate and impact the game in a way that's other than scoring. However, when you're, you're the guy you count on to score night in, night out, at least behind KD to kind of help the team and help KD with the scoring load, he's only scoring 16 a night. And he looks like he's struggling. And like you said, his chemistry on the court is kind of off. I agree with certain players. That's not a really good sign for the team. And we were talking about the Lakers at two and three. The Brooklyn Nets are two and three. Yeah. I mean, they're not. Everyone's talking about them, you know, money, money, money. They're going to win. And they didn't. Their losses, granted, to the Bucks again, opening night, was a blowout. Okay. That wasn't like a close game. They lost by 23. Yeah. Okay. They lost to the Hornets who are a young, solid team, but they should be beating the Hornets. And they lost to the Heat, like you said. Really solid defensively held them to only 93 points. Um, so they're definitely a really strong team. And I think they're, they're the Nets issue, unlike the Lakers, is almost on the offensive side. I think... Not having Kyrie hurts, and they already lacked defense, but obviously they didn't have that problem since they had Kyrie, Harden, and Durant, who could basically like win them games through... like just outscoring their opponent. But now that they don't have Kyrie, their defense is definitely more exposed as the offense can't be held up by just those two guys. And I think that's why the Nets are struggling. And Steve Nash also is like trying to figure out the rotations with all these new guys in the lineup. But I think they'll eventually be able to figure out, and hopefully Kyrie will be back vaccinated fully because if they want to win a championship, they need Kyrie Irving. They yeah. Need- yeah, I Simple agree. I agree. I think like certain role guys have you know played well, but not that great. I think Blake Griffin's having a little bit of a blip of a season, um, only averaging four and a half points a game. Really not what you expect to see from him, especially after how he did in the playoffs last year. Um, he's also playing 20 minutes a game, so he's really only getting half the game to impact it. There's a couple players, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, and I'll put Patty Mills in there all round up with 30 minutes a game. So those those are a lot of minutes for uh, four or five starters. Their depth, which everyone was talking about, oh my goodness, look at the, the Nets. They got this insane uh, depth chart. They've got, you know, Paul Millsap coming off the bench, 
as like the third guy, like how do you defend against this? They're not like you said, those lineups are really off and there's a lot of people averaging, you know, fifteen to twenty minutes in between fifteen and twenty minutes a game because Steve Nash, I think, is I agree, is trying to figure out what lineup works, who works with who on the court, you know, who's their offensive setup, who's you know, when they play small ball, when they play big, who do, who's on, who's off. And I think Similar to the Lakers, like you said, they'll figure it out. I don't know how soon that will be. I think for both teams, looking at Brooklyn and L.A., it's going to be a, a bit of a work in progress. There are going to be some serious growing pains. I think two and three. I think under 500 is not unfeasible for the Lakers. I think under 500 for Brooklyn Brooklyn would be really surprising um, just through the nature of who's on the team. But Kevin Durant... And James Harden have always been those scorers, you know, those prolific point getters. And when James Harden is only averaging 16.6 points a game, you have to look at someone else on the team to step up. And that's where that's where Kyrie would come in. I think your point about needing Kyrie to win a championship is really good because as solid as he is, Kyrie or as solid as excuse me, James Harden isn't is not doing it on the point wise on the court right now. Um, and I think the free throw rule is to blame. Yeah, potentially, but I feel like the Nets will figure it out, but they're clearly missing Kyrie, and Kevin Durant knows that. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for tuning into this segment of the Ish Kandish uh, podcast. Uh, have a great rest of your uh, Friday afternoon, and go Badgers.